The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place. I always say that, and I always mean it. So let's get started. The buzz today to give is to receive. It's true, but how? Let's talk. Many blue chip companies can trace their formal corporate philanthropic programs way back to mid 20th century post World War II. That was considered the golden age of corporate philanthropy. We're talking about giving back, you know, in quotes, giving back to not for profits, to, to parts of society, to parts of culture that don't have what other people have what they have, what the corporation can help give them. Uh, my source for this was a, a website called giarts.org. You can go look it up. Fast forward to today from way back, World War II. Today's spotlight is on innovation and business everywhere you look. We even have two radio series, one called Business Network Innovation and one called Innovating Innovation. It's on the tip of everybody's tongue, and if a company is not focusing on innovation, they're, they're going to miss the boat. So as the spotlight on innovation is shifting, traditional private sector giving, it's going in another direction. It's not just write a check or Give somebody an opportunity to come join your company. It's bigger, it's broader, it's more global. The impact today is to partner with global organizations that are already doing good or that have a plan to do good. What are the benefits? Well, benefits include accelerating the social sector. We'll talk about that and define it in a few minutes. Improving lives, and who doesn't want to do that? But if your company gets involved, you can gain great business insights from your contributions as a corporation. You can benefit as a business while society is benefiting. It's a win-win. I go back to my opening to give is to receive. So how can your organization savor this new flavor? I love that rhyme. Savor this new flavor of giving. We have a panel of experts. They truly are. Their heart and soul and passions are in corporate social innovation, good for society, good for business. I'm very pleased to welcome our first panelist today. He is Ashifi Gogo, A-S-I-F-I, A-S-H-I-F-I, last name Gogo, the way it sounds. He's the founder and CEO of a company called Sproxil, S-P-R-O-X-I-L. Very interesting, Ashifi currently serves on the World Economic Forum's Global Agenda Council on Social Innovation and on the Meta Council on the Illicit Economy. We're going to to talk to him about that, but you might want to know a little trivia about Ashifi. He is Dartmouth College's first ever 
PhD Innovation Fellow. Now, Ashifi has sent me a wonderful quote from Martin Luther King Jr., and we just recently celebrated another anniversary, MLK. Uh, but those of you who don't remember, he was an American Baptist minister, an activist, a humanitarian, and a leader in the African-American civil rights movement. Uh, he was planning in 1968 a national occupation of Washington, D.C. to be called the Poor People's Campaign when he was assassinated April 4th in Memphis, Tennessee, which was followed by riots in many U.S. cities. He was certainly a leader in many, many ways. So here's the quote. Life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? Ashifi Gogo, welcome. How are you today? I'm hanging in there, doing great. How about yourself? I'm fine, thank you. You've got quite a pedigree there, my friend. You you are all over the place. You're founder and CEO of Sproxel, serving on the World Economic Forum. I think you're the first ever panelist on Game Changers Radio who has held an honor like that. But I'd really love for you to talk about this quote you selected from Martin Luther King, Ashifi. How does it relate to our topic? Is he? Are you a big fan of MLK? Do you live by some of his words of wisdom? Talk to me. Sure. Uh, I do find it quite, uh, quite interesting because the quote comes from a, a source of uh, civil rights and uh, social equality. Uh, but if you look at the business world, it actually has uh, a fair amount of applicability there as well. Uh, because in business, it is uh, a little harder to break open new market segments than it is to expand what you have to um, new individuals. Um, and so trying to come up with new products that serve the same constituency uh, tends to be a little harder, uh, as you can see with uh, you know, cell phone companies trying to upgrade their cell phones and running out of new features to sell to people who already have pretty decent cell phones you know, versus branching out and going across the world and looking for new opportunities to help people with the service that already exists. And so if you look at the quote and you factor it into a business conversation, uh, it's interesting how relevant it can be uh, that the more people you, you deem to serve, you know, the, the perhaps easier it is to expand your business and scale. Thank you very much. Do you, uh, do you follow MLK in terms of uh, the history of his leadership? Is he somebody who's part of what you do, Ashifi? Yes, I mean, we work in the um, field of protecting patients from uh, counterfeit products. Um, mm -hmm. And so we're very much into the, um, uh, the ethos uh, laid out here about helping others. Uh, and we do so as a for-profit company. And so we're also very mindful of the, the um, scale, uh, the ability to scale that large corporations have, um, and then the tools that the business world can uh, deliver to uh, companies that have uh, social missions as well. Thank you. One more question before I go to our second panelist. You just had so many rich, interesting bunmo and, and interesting um, experiences you've had in your bio. I just, I just don't want to stop right now. You serve on the Meta Council on the Illicit Economy. What is that? I think that's a great question. It sounds like a, a secretive, uh, uh, you know, country club type uh, group, but it actually is a fairly active working group uh, where we look at the uh, illicit economy from human trafficking to counterfeiting uh, to modern day slavery and all sorts of uh, illicit activities that um, end up funding crime uh, and look for ways to try to close the tap uh, to help uh, institutions, governments, uh, private sector, 
uh, develop strategies and um, law enforcement be able to implement uh, the new laws and practices uh, that would help uh, make life a little harder for criminals to apply their trade. Uh, so that's what the council does. There's a very recent report that came out uh, that seems to indicate that the uh, runaway train of crime is picking up speed. Um, so mm-hmm. there's even more work to be done to help um, you know, society protect itself from the, uh, the criminal elements that unfortunately uh, make life a little harder for everyone. Thank you very much for answering my questions. I, I didn't want to derail the conversation, but that was so intriguing. I thought it might have something to do with uh, X-rated movies and contraband and all that. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Thank you very much. Ashifi, pleasure to have you on the show. Now let's welcome another newcomer to Game Changers Radio. She is Yasmina Zaidman, uh, Z-A-I-D-M-A-N. She's a director of strategic partnerships at Acumen, and Yasmina was the lead architect for a $10 million partnership launched just a year ago, February 2015, with Unilever to enhance livelihoods for smallholder farmers. And she can talk about that later. But Yasmina has sent me a wonderful quote from Rainer Maria Rilke, R-I-L-K-E. I'm sure you've all seen the name. And just to reference back, uh, let's see, it's Renee Carl Wilhelm Johann Josef Maria Rilke, who lived from 1875 to 1926, shortened the name to Rainer or Rainier, perhaps Maria Rilke, a Bohemian Austrian poet and novelist, widely recognized as one of the most lyrically intense German language poets who wrote in verse and highly lyrical prose. Apparently, his work was considered mystical, and he had one novel, several poetry collections, volumes of correspondence, very existential, and he was considered a transitional figure between the traditional and the modernist writers. And now that I've given you way too much trivia, here's the quote. Live the questions now, and perhaps even without knowing it, you will live along some distant day into the answers. Oh, I love that. Yasmina Zaidman, welcome to Coffee Break. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, we are delighted. You've got also a very interesting background. But tell me, how did you pick this quote from Rilke for today, and how does it relate to our topic? Yeah, so I've been reading Rilke since I was very young, and I guess as I've grown up, I've found that the the words that he's um, written have applied to my life in so many different ways. But I chose the quote for today's conversation because I think the work that we're all doing around social change can be really tough. Um, and I've found that the poetry of Rilke can be a real source of strength for me and for many of my colleagues um, because it addresses a lot of the uncertainty and the loneliness and the struggle that is sometimes involved in doing this kind of work um, where you can't necessarily see the end point, you don't have all the answers going in. And I think the way he talks about the importance of just experiencing struggle and embracing uncertainty and acknowledging the loneliness that can come from any really uh, pioneering journey is actually a great source of strength and inspiration. So I wanted to just share that because I do think we're all sort of on a journey here. You, you said that so beautifully. I think we should make that a, a formal quote from you and, and perpetuate that, <laughs> it, that out into the masses. Beautifully said. I'm, I'm very intrigued with the first part of the quote, Yasmina, live the questions now. And I'm wondering when we're talking about this very important, very timely topic, corporate social innovation, good for society, good for business. I'm wondering if when you decide to do something like your partnership with Unilever for the benefit of smallholder farmers, if 
you always know at the outset the right questions to ask because isn't that always what it comes down to is you think you might be trying to do somebody some good, but maybe you asked the wrong questions or they didn't give you the right answers and you haven't gotten to the core of what really needs to be done to benefit them. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think in some ways that the questions that are being asked now are not just about how to help people, but how to do it in ways that can last, that are sustainable, that are meaningful. And what excites me is the work that we're doing with our corporate partners, whether it's Unilever, SAP, or others, is they're asking a really important question about what is the role of their company or of business in general in making the world better? And it's a pretty big, wide-open question, um, and mm-hmm. it leads to a lot of other questions. But I think a lot of the folks that I talk to are willing to kind of live the question and say, we know we want our company to be about making the world better, but we're not yet sure how. And we are trying to learn um, from partners or from experiments what that might look like. And those are the folks that I'm really excited to partner with. Because, you know, you talk to some people who say, we know exactly why we're here and exactly mm-hmm. what we're doing. And it doesn't leave a lot of room for innovation. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited to work with the people that are able to kind of live the questions. Thank you very much. I appreciate your indulging my question. Thank you and welcome, Yasmina. <laughs> Delighted to have you. I, I do come up with questions along the way, so you'll get used to it. And rounding out the panel is Nish Pengali, a lovely lady who has come to me with this topic, who has been on Coffee Break Radio before. We're very, very happy to have her back. And Nish currently leads technology and acceleration programs within SAP's CSR organization. That's Corporate Social Responsibility. And she ran a fellowship to help nine CEOs accelerate their own leadership skills and business acumen. Very interesting. There's a video for that. And you can contact Nish and she can send you the link. And Nish has sent me a quote from Henry Ford. You all know he was an American industrialist. He founded the Ford Motor Company and he is the sponsor. Interesting. I've never heard it put this way. The sponsor of the development of the assembly line technique of mass production. I thought he just dreamed it up one night, but apparently he put together a team and there you go. Talk about uh, benefiting a business. So here's the quote from Henry Ford. A business that makes nothing but money is a poor business. Nish Pangali, welcome back. How have you been? I've been great, Bonnie. Thanks so much for having me back. I'm, I was trying to remember the last show I was on, and I, I'm not entirely sure if it was before or after I had my daughter, but it may, in fact, be that I've had another kid since we've spoken, so <laughs> it's really great to reconnect Let's just you. say you've been busy and we've been busy, and uh, Nish, we're now up to 21 different Game Changers radio series. I think we added, oh, I don't know, 8 or 10 in the past 12 or 14 months, so we've both been busy. Let's just leave it. I'm giving birth to radio series at this stage of my life, and, <laughs> and it's, it's a beautiful thing. So, Nish, tell me, are you a big fan of Henry Ford? I asked a similar question of Ashifi in terms of MLK. Uh, why pick this quote for today? Yeah, you know, I, th- I think it's such a great quote because, and, and just in hearing Ashifi and Yasmina speak about different perspectives as well, what I love is this idea that we are continuously learning and we're innovating and we're thinking about contributions, even if we don't know exactly what the right contribution is or what the formula is. And so this quote by Henry Ford, it makes me think about if, make, if just making money, just in quotes, is a poor business, then what constitutes a rich business? And when you start to really think about it, it is much more than generating revenue. 
It's having that strong company culture. It's a place where all of us are feel very engaged and we enjoy working together. And there is sort of that spirit of creating new ideas, not just necessarily approaching your job in the same way and cranking out the same end product. And so to me, that really speaks to impact. And I imagine that Mr. Ford was almost challenging organizations when he made this statement to think about more than making money and how they can have a hand in bringing society forward. So what is really the impact of your work? And when we think about his legacy, I know the first thing I'm thinking about is not necessarily how much money he made, but how he really mm-hmm. did change the world. Um, you know, we, we think immediately about moving from, you know, using horses as a mode of transportation to the car. And as you brought up, you know, automating different processes in the assembly line. So for me, I think it, it helps me continually challenge the norm of how can then corporates um, have a role in providing value back to society. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in the most traditional ways. I think we have that freedom and that spirit to be able to also explore other innovative approaches to giving back and also to learning and bringing that back into our organizations. Thank you, Nish. Very well put. And you reminded me of one of our shows yesterday. I'm trying to remember which two series. Forgive me, but on one of them, we had a guest who used to work for UP. Actually, he's no, he used to work for UPS. And uh, we were talking about Jim Casey, the founder of UPS, who started out with just, I think it was a bicycle messenger company back around the turn of the, into the early 19th century. And when he finally hooked up with another company to make it faster and speedier, the first car they used for, shall we say, automated deliveries was a Ford Model T in 1913. So you just brought back, it all links together, right? You can't get away (laughs) from it. Everything weaves in and out of the same thread. Thank you very much, Nish. And not only thank you for your interesting quote, but thank you for gathering such a fabulous panel, Ashifi Gogo at Sproxel and Yasmina Zaidman at Acumen. Uh, Very privileged to be speaking with all three of you. But now we want to have a little bit of fun. Uh, Shifi, I'm going to ask you a very tough question, much tougher than the ones I started out with. I want to know where are you calling from and what's in your cup today? What are you drinking or what do you love to drink at any time? What makes you happy? Shifi? Well, I'm I'm calling from rainy Boston today. uh, And to keep me company, I have a a warm mug of uh, lemon ginger tea, uh, which uh, uh, helps me smile through the, the... somewhat cheerful winter that we're having <laughs> compared to last year when uh, we couldn't uh, we had to dig ourselves out of mounds of snow to get to work. That's right. That's right. Well, I'm on Long Island in New York. I can almost lean out my window and wave to you a little bit. And I can tell you that it's raining here and there is, oh, I see about three or four little piles of snow left from Snowmageddon, which seems like it was years ago, but it was actually, what, about five or six weeks ago. And we had 30 inches. It disappeared so fast, Ashifi. It's almost like we can't complain about snow this winter. I know. So it's a blessing. I'm glad you're drinking some interesting tea. That sounds delicious. And now let's ask Yasmina Zaidman the same very difficult question. Where are you calling from and what are you drinking today? Or what are you planning to drink after the show? Um, well, hopefully I won't need like a, a shot of vodka after the show, but um, I am calling from... <laughs> we'll be gentle, dear. Don't worry. <laughs> Good. I'm calling from Acumen's office in New York, uh, in Tribeca, and uh, and it's also rainy here. I think we're sharing the same rain. Um, it's also, unfortunately, the site of a recent crane collapse that literally fell in front of the door of our office, so we're all oh, feeling no. grateful that we can be back in our office. Yeah, it was one of those just 
sort of terrible random events, but kind of reminded yes. us all that so many uh, of the places where we work deal with these kinds of infrastructure challenges and disasters daily. So kind of a, a bit of an empathic moment. Um, I am drinking a soy matcha latte, which I know it sounds kind of precious, um, but I had just I've recently developed an obsession with matcha green tea. Um, I think it's sort of part of a health kick that I'm on, but I find that it gives me just the right amount of pep, um, and I love the antioxidants and the green tea flavor. And I'm sort of lactose intolerant, maybe too much information, but I'm drinking it oh, with soy no, milk that's instead of milk. Very, <laughs> very interesting. I just looked up matcha latte soy, and it, I came up with a recipe on Bon Appetit. Dot com. Mm. There's a beautiful cup, a white cup of green tea with all the air bubbles on top. It's and they really say, yummy. I have to try that. It says, swap out your morning coffee with matcha for an antioxidant boost. Bring three quarters yep. of a cup of unsweetened almond milk, soy milk, rice milk, or cow's milk to a bare simmer in a small pot, medium high heat. That may be too much information. Place one teaspoon of matcha powder in a heat proof cup, whisk in a quarter cup boiling water, then almond milk, tipping the cup slightly to create more foam. Sweeten with agave syrup. I have that. Matcha green tea powder is available at Japanese markets in pursuit of tea.com and hibiki-an.com. Very interesting. Well, thank you for that, Yasmina. Appreciate that. We learned something new. And Nish Pengali, where are you calling from and what are you drinking? So I'm, I'm happy to say that I'm calling from California, um, our East Bay office out here in <laughs> Dublin. And uh, last week I was in Germany, so I'm very much soaking in the sunshine. I have to be back on the East Coast for a few days of meetings next week. So I'll prepare myself for some rain, hopefully nothing <laughs> more drastic. I don't think I have the right clothes and jackets to actually adapt to anything outside of California, as I learned last week. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a, a very uh, happy thing for me is there's lots of sunshine around And in my cup, I actually have, over the last few years, become a little bit obsessed with the stovetop mocha pots for coffee. So Mm. each morning, as hectic as it can be, as many of you know, with your children running around and you're multitasking on conference calls, being in California, naturally early mornings are sort of an expected start just to accommodate time zones. And yet there's always this moment for me where I get a little smile because I know I'm going to enjoy my espresso. And it's the very traditional mocha pot. You put the water in the bottom, the ground, the coffee grounds go in a little cylindrical container in the middle, and you put it on the stovetop. And as the heat bubbles up, the espresso starts to spill out in the top of the container. And it just brings a smile to my face. It's this luxurious-looking bubbly liquid that comes out. I put just a touch of milk in. Over the years, I've reduced my milk intake more so because I think psychologically I feel like the more bitter it is, even though the espresso is no greater quantity than it's been before, I feel Mm -hmm. more caffeinated. (laughs) So why question it if it works? Um, So that's what I really enjoy. Sometimes I have to chug it down. Sometimes I can leisurely enjoy it. Um, And I'm going to actually note down that recipe for the matcha latte because I tend to have another caffeine boost of green tea later, and it's usually just a traditional herbal tea bag, but I'm interested to try this version. Usually around 9 or 10 in the morning, I need a second jolt, so I may incorporate that into my well, routine. Starbucks, Starbucks has a great version of it if you want to just skip the, uh, the effort. Um, Making a, <laughs> yes, a matcha a idea, latte. Just swing by on the way into the office. 
I have a gift card for Starbucks. That's where I'm going to go later today and get one. By the way, Mocha Pot, I just looked it up. It's M-O-K-A. And there's a great segment on Wikipedia that not only shows you what a classic Mocha Pot looks like, but they've actually got an animated GIF that shows you the water moving up through the bottom of the pot, permeating the coffee grounds, going up and squirting out the coffee in the top. And it's, it's a GIF right on Wikipedia. I've never seen that before. So I'm watching this coffee percolating niche and it's uh, fascinating but I have to get back to the show so thank you for that very interesting the three of you and as Nish knows but Ashifi and uh, Yasmina will learn they don't let Bonnie have caffeinated beverages on radio show days so what can I tell you it's just cool clear water for me yes through a Brita with I have a very pretty blue straw here today hoping for blue skies maybe when the rain is done who knows we are talking to a very interesting panel they're all experts on our topic have a lot to share with us we're talking about Corporate social innovation. No longer corporate social responsibility. We're focusing on the word innovation for very good reasons. And the punchline is good for society, good for your business. Everybody wins. That's right. Speaking with Ashifi Gogo at Sproxel, Yasmina Zaidman at Acumen, and Nish Pangali at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be... Bonnie D. Graham after the break. So we're going to take a quick 60-second break, have a pause that refreshes. Everybody will have a sip of their favorite drink. And when we come back, Ashifi is going to open the round table with me. And we're going to talk a little bit about entrepreneurship and intrapreneurship as engines for driving growth and a lot more. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Justin, out. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. And here we are. We're back talking about corporate social innovation. And just before the break, I said we're going to talk about the differences between entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship. I'm going to ask Ashifi to give us a quick definition, but we we decided on the break we want to focus instead on social innovation is not just an invention. And that's where we're going to go. But Ashifi, would you mind just uh, elaborating on the definition of those two terms that are so similar, or are they? <laughs> well, they, they do have some similarities. Um, and uh, entrepreneurship, which is perhaps more familiar to, to the broader audience, uh, deals with new venture creation, 
uh, self-starting and uh, problem-solving uh, in a way that allows um, the uh, the solution to grow uh, and uh, further scale out and address more issues that people face. Uh, intrapreneurship uh, is a more uh, recent term, uh, which helps address the cases where people within large companies uh, start new initiatives um, and stay within those companies and scale out those initiatives uh, so that they can uh, further increase the presence of the companies. Um, uh, products and services around the world, or you know, add uh, new users to the user base. And um, so, the main difference between entrepreneurship and intrapreneurship is whether you're in or out of a large or existing corporation, uh, which uh, can make a pretty big difference as to how you take an idea and turn it into a new venture and scale it. Thank you. Very interesting. And now let's move on to what we want to focus on here. Social innovation is not just an invention. That sounds very provocative, even a little in, uh, contentious to me. Ashifi, talk to me. Sure. So there are a lot of inventions out there. You know, I, I have a U.S. patent, um, and uh, you know, if there was an invention that would take the database of patents out there and turn them into useful um, widgets and gadgets people to improve their lives, you know, that would be the mother of all inventions. Uh, but, you know, invention happens um, quite routinely, and the real magic happens when these inventions turn into products that are put in people's hands that really um, improves their life uh, style, their uh, ability, capability, uh, the range of activities that they can perform within a set amount of time. Um, and uh, these are the areas where inventions really come to life. So there's an example, for instance, if uh, you know, I invent a great water pump uh, that uh, can be made in a, a developing nation with local uh, resources, and I get it patented and do nothing more. Uh, it mm -hmm. gets really hard to imagine the kind of impact that would be delivered to you know the uh, the slum dweller, say, in, in India, that doesn't have access to uh, easy uh, water and uh, cannot gain access to the, to the invention. So what social entrepreneurship does is it really looks at ways to take inventions and add a bit of innovation on product uh, creation and delivery so that the inventions that could enrich people's lives actually make it to the marketplace uh, in a way that typically would not be conceived as scalable or a profitable venture. Uh, and so this is uh, a new area of growth where entrepreneurs are beginning to make a, a great case that you can use some methods from existing businesses to address needs of societies using inventions that may or may not exist at the moment. Um, and then create these delivery uh, mechanisms to be able to improve people's lives. And out of that experience, there are some learnings that are uh, becoming quite interesting to, um, to larger corporations uh, that traditionally don't focus on these uh, frontier and emerging markets. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. Yasmina Zaidman at Acumen, love to have you comment and expand on what Ashifi just shared with us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that the the idea that, um, you know, innovation is a new idea is sort of funny because I think we haven't had any of the progress that we've seen without it. And I guess the question for me is what are we applying that innovation towards? Um, and I think what, what is shifting now is not just the focus on innovation um, and, and 
you know, trying to build it uh, into a, a culture or way of thinking, but to actually apply innovation towards really big, important problems. And this is something I think I'm seeing kind of in every direction. One of the things that uh, is an important driver, I think, for why big companies are thinking differently about what innovation means um, and what, what their footprint in the world looks like is that there are a lot of young people all over the world, which we can call millennials, um, but just folks who are looking at themselves not just as uh, people who want to be successful, but also as people who want to have purpose. And that generation, in many ways, I think is driving a conversation around what does it mean to have a business with purpose? Um, how do you drive innovation towards social impact? And you know, what are the kinds of new, interesting solutions and technologies and business models that can actually make the world work for everyone? Uh, and you see that with, I think, a, a growing interest in different approaches to energy, um, addressing issues of climate change, the whole idea of inclusive business, so building businesses that really take into account the needs of people who are you know, low-income or marginalized or minorities. And that, that, to me, is one of the most ripe areas for innovation, not just sort of the next uh, health technology or the next digital uh, app that allows people to order their food in more convenient ways, but innovations that can actually change lives. Um, and so I'm seeing it kind of from every direction, from you know, corporate CEOs to young people um, coming out of college and kind of asking the same question as, you know, can we solve these big problems in new ways? Thank you, Yasmina. Very interesting. And you mentioned millennials. We talk about them, them, the M word on many of our series. And uh, as much as we've tried to establish and pin down who that demographic cohort really is, what they really want, how impatient they are, how they spend their money, what they want, I think across the board it has been determined that they are looking for social responsibility in the companies they create, the companies for which they, uh, to which they apply for jobs, the companies to which they give their loyalty. And you summed it up so beautifully, saying a business with purpose. Um, you want to expand on that just a tiny bit before I get Nish in on this, Yasmina? Anything, how would, that, how would you state that purpose to a newcomer to a business as a recruiting tool? How would you say, hello, Mr. or Ms. Uh, millennium, millennial, uh, we'd like to have you, and we know this is one of your core values, and this is our core value as a business with purpose, but how would you state that? Would you say we are socially responsible, we believe in inventing new processes that are scalable and will solve the big problems of the world? Is it just enough to pay lip service or any proof points you'd have to put just briefly, Asmina? Yeah, no, I think that's such a great question because I, what I find now is we live in such an interconnected world uh, and such a visual world. You know, you can actually see images. They're now coming up with ways to use virtual reality to allow people to actually experience different things that they could never experience by sitting in their living room. And this generation, of course, is so savvy about all of that. So where it used to be great to say, here's our purpose, here's our mission statement, here's our annual report, and basically say what you're doing, it's not good enough anymore. And I think this generation is actually looking to see those proof points. So they want to know, you know, how are you actually impacting people's lives and how is that built into your business? Um, what are the programs that you're using to, to make this real? And a lot of folks, and this is something that we, we get to work with, companies that are saying, we actually want our people to experience this. So we want mm -hmm. them to go and spend time with these extraordinary entrepreneurs. We want them to not only learn from them, but to support the work that they're doing and have this kind of exchange of knowledge. 
And that, again, it's, it's a much higher bar. It's not saying, you know, read this great report and feel good, but it's saying yes. you can actually be involved in this. You can educate yourself. You can share your knowledge. It's much more hands-on. Um, and it's not easy, you know, to make, to create that hands-on experience. And I think it's, it can be sometimes, you know, more harm than good. But I think more and more companies are thinking about really smart ways to be involved in the work and to get those people on their teams who care about this and are driven by this to be more directly involved in some of that change work. Thank you, Yasmin. And case in point, Nish is probably aware of this, my colleague on the SAP News Services team, Susan Gaylor, who's an excellent writer and uh, reporter and blogger, and she just started about two weeks ago on a social sabbatical. She's in Botswana working with local government and local community leaders feet on the ground, boots on the ground, and we expect she's going to come back with some amazingly interesting experiences to share with with the team and with a lot more people. I think she's still blogging from from there. Uh, Susan, if you're listening, shout out to you, and I hope everything is wonderful in Botswana. We call her Our Lady on the Ground in Botswana. Sounds religious, doesn't it? Uh, Nish Pendali, Pendali, talk to me. Uh, Thoughts on not just an invention. It has to apply. It has to work. Thoughts on millennials. I think you may be one still. So add no. to our conversation. <laughs> no? You just made this I don't day. know. <laughs> I think I would, you may need to Wikipedia that for me while I'm speaking to see if I make the cutoff or not. But I don't feel like a millennial if I, if I really think about it anymore. Um, but it's a flattering comment. I'll take it nonetheless. Take it. Um, take yeah, it. That's absolutely. Good. I think that, you know, this conversation is so interesting. And uh, for Yasmina Ashifi and for the other fellow CEOs and the rest of the Acumen team, we know firsthand how exciting this topic is and also how challenging it can be to actually realize it in a relevant way. And, you know, when Acumen and SAP sat down together and thought about creating this fellowship, the intention was really around how do we harness this energy and the expertise of SAP, the lessons learned, the best practices that we've created, and uh, allow the space to kind of provide that to social enterprise leaders like Ashifi who are driving against, you know, kind of solving these big societal issues in a scalable way? Um, And could there be some benefit in providing the space of sharing those ideas of being able to bring CEOs together to kind of build a community together as well as they go on to build their and expand their businesses. And I think that there were some really great moments and some wins in that, um, things that we learned both individually for our own organizations and collectively going forward. Um, but I do think that the, the beauty of that experience was that it is, along with the social sabbatical, which you just re- talked about, one of those engagement opportunities that does allow employees to feel like they are contributing in some way, that they're able to do what they do on a daily basis in their job, but directed in a pro bono way to help another individual kind of succeed and thrive. But what was particularly interesting was kind of the reverse of that, then the appreciation that many in SAP employees had when they were engaging with CEOs like Ashifi and learning about the fact that as they go into these frontier markets, when they think about delivering a product to a new community, they also have to think about paving the roads. They have to think about the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And when you have a traditional startup here in Silicon Valley pitching to a VC, they typically don't have to think about those sorts of issues. So there was just a large appreciation. I think there was then even more of an interest to go deeper, to give more. And there was also 
a spark of innovation that a lot of employees took back. And I have seen over the course of the month since that time that there are employees who have actually come back and said, I thought about our process not being that lean, or we can actually approach it the way so-and-so did in South Africa. Um, and so I think that's really exciting to see as well is the reverse of that, that you go into these engagements sometimes thinking that you're providing your, quote, expertise to someone, when mm-hmm. in reality, you actually are going to have your horizons broadened and the way you're thinking will be a bit different. Um, and with the social sabbatical, which you're talking about for Susan in, in Botswana, that is an opportunity for millennials and employees across the board at SAP to be able to go and have that experience of working with an NGO or a social enterprise in an emerging market and really help them with a defined scope of work. But typically, it's life-changing for those employees. It just changes their perspective. Sometimes they go off and start nonprofits and social enterprises of their own. Other times they come back and they just feel even more motivated to work for a company like SAP. And so we are seeing those different ways of kind of driving entrepreneurship and that sometimes whether it's directing it to a social enterprise or a social need, which I think is the ultimate place to do it, um, but, mm-hmm. you know, even if there are other opportunities to think about driving innovation to solve other issues, um, if you give employees this opportunity to do it and you really demonstrate that, you know, you can engage on a project and you can walk away and feel like you've tangibly contributed those are great engagement and retention strategies. And you could absolutely then brand that out as you think about bringing in the best talent to your organization. So it just has so many multiple positive effects and impact that um, I think it is the ultimate place to focus. I just think that it takes time and you really have to think about what is your objective and in partnering with other organizations that there is truly a shared value. That's sort of the compass that you're driving towards. Because it isn't, you know, an automatic template you can follow. You really have to navigate a new way of doing things and and thinking about things. Thank you, Nish. Very, very interesting. Uh, A lot of good information there. And and it reminds me of how I opened the show, The Buzz, to give is to receive. True, but how? And you're helping us, you and your co-panelists are helping us solve that question. I want to circle back to Ashifi Gogo. Ashifi, we've had some very interesting comments added to what you started by Yasmina and by Nish. Anything you'd like to add before I pick up uh, something from Yasmina's comments? So I, I think it's uh, it's really interesting to see the um, the interest that's coming in from uh, large corporations, and also you know on the other side of the spectrum, nonprofits are looking uh, for ways to be able to show more sustainable impact. Uh, traditionally, it's been project-based uh, financing. The project ends. Hopefully, uh, someone picks the baton, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's it's uh, it's not been the case. Um, uh, Quite successfully in, in that in that scenario, and so uh, social enterprises seem to be uh, effectively the best of both worlds in this case, uh, where they can draw from the uh, corporate you know, for-profit business practices that tend to um, help projects become sustainable, uh, as well as uh, draw from the heart and the care uh, that nonprofits bring in uh, trying to address problems that uh, can be uh, overlooked. Um, so it, it feels like a fairly decent compromise, um, but it's uh, also a new, a fairly recent compared to nonprofits and, and for-profit companies, a fairly recent endeavor. 
Um, so there's still a fair amount of education that is happening on, on shows like this to help uh, draw attention to this new option. Thank you very much, Ashifi. And I want to uh, – did we mention, by the way, that the comment social innovation is not just an invention comes from Zia Khan, K-H-I-N, the VP of Initiatives and Strategy at the Rockefeller Foundation? I didn't uh, mention that when I started it. Did you bring that up? Because I want to make sure our listeners know. No, it's, it's good to mention Zia. Yeah, you know, I've, I've uh, had the opportunity to meet him a few times. Uh, he does bring some really deep insights on the, on the topic. Good. Thank you. We like to say credit where credit is due all the time. Thank you, Ashifi. Yasmina, let's see. We've got all oh, about six, seven minutes before we move into the the uh, predictions part of our show. But I want to talk about, let's see here. Entrepreneurs need more than capital, but let's talk about that capital in terms of what the partnerships are contributing we talk about invention, we talk about innovation, we talk about boots on the ground, we've talked about uh, knowing the right partner and asking the right questions to what problems of the world's poorest consumers, poorest cultures, poorest parts of the world, what problems do they really need solved and how can a company send people, send their minds, their skills, their creativity to help. But let's talk about capital. Is there money still involved? Maybe we need to answer that too rather than just the social side. Yasmina, what's your experience? Yeah, well, I think the, the the realm of capital is one that is also going through a whole lot of innovation where you used to have kind of a, a binary view that you can invest money to make money and you can give money away to do something good. And that's a, a pretty black and white view. And I think what's changing now is the idea that you can actually invest money to both do good things and also create economic value and likewise, that you can donate money in ways that create social good, but in sustainable ways. You can change how you give in ways that actually create a longer-term, more financially viable approach. And so there's a lot of blending, and you actually hear this term of blended capital. A lot of the companies that we work with, these sort of innovative, emerging startup companies um, who ultimately aim to become like any successful entrepreneur – scaled, profitable, impacting millions of people, often employing thousands of people, they're often using this blended capital approach. So they're looking for different kinds of funding that can help them achieve different things. And that, I think, is, again, relatively new. A lot of folks who are providing this kind of capital, including institutions like the Rockefeller Foundation and the Gates Foundation, certainly Acumen, where I work, and a lot of these new impact investors are all kind of figuring this out and how can they bring the right kind of capital to help these purpose-driven companies to meet their needs. Uh, Because, of course, if you put the wrong kind of capital in, it can backfire. And companies need not just the right kind of capital but the right amount, you know, not too much, not too little. Um, And the market for where they get that capital, I think, is still very much in flux. So it's, it's another area of innovation, and, you know, there's obviously a ton of great resources. I know Rockefeller has invested quite a bit in understanding the space, and there's others. So you can learn about what are the different kinds of capital that are needed, what has worked, and how can you use capital to drive not just impact, but also sustainable and scalable impact. Um, so, again, it's an exciting space and one that, you know, we've been a part of for, for about 15 years. Uh, but one of our big lessons as an investor in these sorts of entrepreneurs is that capital is just sort of the beginning. Um, you know, you certainly can't build a new company without it, but as you're building that company, there's so many other things that you need to put in place. And so having access to expertise, to talent, to the right tools of business, 
the right networks, we're finding is often just as valuable as having access to capital. And so a lot of the work that we do is thinking about what's the support that an entrepreneur needs and also who can we pull in as partners to, to provide that support. Um, so, you know, just as an example, we've now worked with about four or five different companies who are leveraging their expertise, whether it's technological expertise or business management expertise, design thinking, which is a huge strength with SAP, mm-hmm. to actually train and support entrepreneurs, whether it's, you know, the CEO who's trying to figure out how to grow the business or people at the manager level. Um, you know, a lot of them are really trying to figure out how to build a, a talent base so they don't just have a fantastic CEO and the sort of people who get the work done, but managers who can lead different functions within a growing business. And so the expertise around human resources and talent and recruiting and employee development turns out to be really valuable to entrepreneurs who are building these very fast-growing companies and doing it in really challenging places, right? So you don't just say, oh, why don't you show up at all the best schools and hire the, the brightest students? They can't necessarily pay the same level of salary. They don't show up at the same campuses. So they need to find ways to attract talent, to develop talent, to compensate talent that allows them to build that enterprise. Um, and, and all those questions, again, I think are areas where we think corporations who have already wrestled with and addressed some of those can provide a ton of value. Um, so, you know, again, with SAP, with GE, with Ernst & Young, with Bain, we've had people who actually can show up share their expertise, help to build these kinds of systems, and alongside the right kind of capital, it really positions these enterprises to grow much more quickly um, and have much more impact as a result because their growth is tied into the kinds of products and services that they can provide to, to people in need. Thank you, Yasmina. Fascinating. I'm, I'm glad I asked the question. Nish, love to have you chime in on this. Thoughts? Uh, I mean, couldn't agree more. I think that that is a natural place for us sitting on the corporate side to think about how we can provide access to that type of expertise, those best practices, tools, templates, certainly technology. Um, but for, for me, what's been my lesson learned in the last few years in the CSR organization has been to really think about approaching this as a way to build capacity for organizations. So whether those are nonprofits or social enterprises, to really how do we bring forward whatever value proposition we feel that we can offer, whether it's employees' time, their pro bono expertise, actual solutions, but that we do that in a really accessible and relevant way. So not so much if we take the technology example, not so much just focusing purely on a donation of a solution. How do we get $0 licenses out the door? But how do we really think about a holistic approach where perhaps there is a cost there, but it's a reasonable cost, and instead we're coming with the whole holistic model that there's implementation support, there's thought about change management for the organization, there's onboarding, there's all those other resources that we would deliver to any for-profit customer um, that we would in turn also want to have even more so when we're thinking about providing support into the sector. Um, And so that really is something that sort of keeps me up at night is to think about how to do this in an accessible way, even with experts' time. I mean, how to make sure that you match 
properly, that you provide the information in a relevant way, that, you know, as much as you can pulse the recipient organization so that you understand where they are in terms of their skill sets or the interests. Um, and then, you know, there's always the human factor. So this is a dynamic process, and we are all people. And so at the end of the day, I think some of these conversations and opportunities will naturally fit at first, and others will take some time. Um, but I think it is a really exciting space. It's an incredibly rewarding place to be able to focus on, so I feel very lucky. And I think that there are some really great thought leaders in this space on, you know, all areas of that spectrum, from social enterprises, from nonprofits, impact investors, corporates, who are paying attention here and sort of creating um, first steps and hopefully replicable models so that others can also join in over time, which Thank you, probably Nish. peaks into the crystal ball area. We are already way past crystal ball. We've got four minutes to the end of the show, but I think you just gave us yours. So, Ashifi, I'm going to give you 30 seconds on the clock to predict what will change about this topic. Let's just shoot for 2020. What do you see really fast? Ashifi, go, go, at Sproxel. 30 seconds, predictions, go. I think society would demand more of large uh, corporations to uh, deliver a more balanced scorecard uh, looking at the uh, various constituents in society and not looking only at the uh, profitability or the financial metrics that uh, shareholders uh, would, would like to see. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point. Appreciated. Yasmina Zaidman at Acumen. 30 seconds. Oh, I can give you, I can give you almost one full. Nope. Let's stick with 30 seconds because I know you go longer. <laughs> I'm, I'm playing the clock right now. Yasmina, predictions, please. Go ahead. Yeah. So I think that as big companies start to think about how they can build that different kind of scorecard and respond to the, the prediction that Ashifi talked about, which I think is spot on, I think they're going to start to look much further afield to great ideas and great partners. I think we're still seeing, for the most part, a reliance on traditional partnerships, traditional relationships, and frankly, a lot of companies that are just happier to do things on their own rather than take the risk. And I think what will change is that sense of risk will be diminished. People will start to see that the power of entrepreneurship is not just relevant for coming up with the latest and greatest gadget, but it's a really big part of how we're going to solve some of these big intractable global problems. We're starting to see it now, but I think by the time we hit 2020, it'll be mainstream. And the companies who have taken the first steps in doing that now will be considered sort of the, the grandfathers of a trend that I think is only going to grow. Thank you very much, Nish. I'll give you uh, 30 seconds. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I think there perhaps we'll have a catchy new phrase. Um, instead of social innovation, we might have something new that's a hot topic. But in essence, it absolutely will still be relevant. And outside of what everyone else has sort of said, which I totally agree with, I think that we will see perhaps barriers of entry reduced so that more multinationals can have a stronger role there. Love to see the collective partnerships that Yasmina is talking about. We can do more together faster. Um, and I hope that some of the early adopters, and hopefully SAP will be one of those, will have models that others can follow. Nish, I think instead of corporate social innovation or giving, we're going to call it the Pangali Acumen Go-Go. That's what we're going to call it. I, it just makes perfect sense to me after speaking to the three of you. I want to thank Ashifi Gogo, Yasmina Zaidman, and Nish Pengali. Wonderful conversation. Nish, I think we need to come back and do part two in, a, in about a month or two. What do you think? You interested, everybody? Absolutely. That'd be great. Yeah, okay. tell me in. 
Good. Ashifi, I hope you can make time for us. I will send an invitation. This is this is a bigger conversation than just one show. Uh, tomorrow morning, I'll be back at 10 a.m. Eastern on Meet the Visionary Game Changers. Our topic is very serious. We're talking about cloud ERP, engine for global growth. We're going to not get too deep into the tech weeds, but we're going to talk about what it means to your company and how you need to get on the road again and figure it out. Guests are Cindy Jutras from Mint Jutras, Mark Hopkins from Skull Candy. And Mike Morell, my longtime colleague at SAP, so Cloud ERP Engine for Global Growth. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you to Justin, our engineer. Thank you to my special guests. And here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Signing off for another edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.